Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Psych Legal Pop Podcast, a podcast about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and psychotherapist. I'm Tess Brigham. I'm the therapist and I'm here with my sister, Brooke, who is the attorney. And we're so happy to be here today because we are going to talk about Monica Lewinsky. And so for those of you who are maybe under the age of 30... Fifty. <laughs> you probably are like, I've heard of this. And, um, you know, Lewinsky is talked about in rap songs and we hear it in popular culture. But if you've never quite understood the story, then we've got a really good juicy story for you because it is a good one. So we're going to give you a quick synopsis as quick as we can, because the thing about this particular affair is it is complicated. You know, before we started recording, we were talking about how it is a bit of a domino effect that this wouldn't have happened if one person, you know, if if one person had made a different decision or if these things weren't happening over here, then this wouldn't have happened over here. And that's what makes the story so interesting is, is that each piece of it was vital to get to the next part. Right. And it actually started with the government shutdown mm-hmm. in 1995 um, all of the staff of the White House were sent home and they elevated all these interns to do the jobs of the staff. And suddenly Monica Lewinsky, who was a 21-year-old White House intern at the time, found herself working in the chief of staff's office answering phones right next door to the president's yes, office. Yes, yes. <laughs> So here she was with access to the president. And so she and the president start a flirtation. Um, We're not quite sure. Maybe it started before the shutdown, but the shutdown really made things happen. Yeah. (laughs) It really sped things up together. Yeah. And plus, I guess also with the shutdown, they were alone. So less people around. So it made it easier for them to sneak around. And so they have this affair. They... um, uh, then Monica is transferred shortly after the, was it the 96 election? It was he gets before re- the 96 election. Yeah. So he gets reelected in 96. 
Um, she then gets sent to the Pentagon, we believe because people were maybe seeing that there was something going on between the two of them. She thought she was going to get sent away and brought back. She's now, you know, 22. She's working at the Pentagon and she's lovesick and so in love with the president. And um, they have, you know, they have this obviously this relationship where she's just sitting around waiting for the moment that he will call her or talk to her. Yeah, he calls her like every two weeks. Yeah. Once a month. I mean, whenever he can. And then he uses his secretary, Betty Curry, as a go-between. Yeah. He has the secretary call her and say, oh, the president wants to see you. And so she drops everything, goes to the White House. And you see they're exchanging gifts Mm -hmm. with each other during these visits. And so it's continuing. Yes. The the actual affair went on for over a year Mm -hmm. where they were, even after she left the White House and was at the Pentagon, he would still call her up every once in a while and, you know, arrange for her to come see him. So it was ongoing even after the election. So Monica, this young girl, she, um, is at the Pentagon. She ends up confiding in probably the worst person in the world to confide in. The world's worst friend. Yeah. So she confides in Linda Tripp. And Linda Tripp at the time was double Monica's age. I want to say she was in her 40s, maybe early, late 40s, early 50s at the time. Monica's this young girl. Um, Linda has is divorced with grown kids. So I think, you know, maybe in the beginning she saw Monica as, you know, this this someone like a daughter to her. So they become friends and Monica, you know, tells her I'm having an affair with the president, which starts a whole chain reaction. The th- problem was that at the same time, Linda Tripp <laughs> was once working in the White House. She was a holdover from the Bush administration, never liked the Clintons, somehow had this personal, like the minute they came in and came into power. Because that was the other thing, if you look back at what happened, was that we had, up until 92, we had Reagan for eight years, then we had the first Bush for four. So the Democrats winning the White House in 92 was huge. Bill Clinton was young in comparison to all these other politicians. Hillary was not going to be the wife that shows up on the lawn smiling and waving. Hillary was determined to be there with him and make an impact. And that turned a lot of people off. People did not like that. Yeah, Linda Tripp hated the Clintons. And that also played into this. If she didn't hate the Clintons, I'm not sure she would have done what she did. No. Because... she she also just really thought she was very important. Yes. <laughs> Had a lot of illusions of grandeur. Oh, poor. She wanted to, she felt like she had a lot to say and she wanted to say mm-hmm. it. She was le- looking to write a book. Yes. She first wanted. Even before she met Monica, she right. wanted to write a book. She wanted to write some sort of tell-all book about her time as an insider in the White House because she had worked as the secretary for Vince Foster, who was White House counsel, good friend of the Clintons, and who committed suicide early on. Yeah, do we know why he committed suicide? Was it Did this have to do with the Whitewater stuff well, or no? what I've heard is that, you know, he was very close with the Clintons, so close that a lot of people think that he and Hillary were having an affair. Mm. But um, they were very close, and I think he felt very responsible for the fact that he couldn't, stop all of these inquiries into the Clintons. You know, there was mm-hmm. the, the the Republicans were just out for blood. They were 
searching wherever they could to find dirt on the Clintons. And so they were investigating everything. There was this Whitewater investigation, which was in, an investigation into a real estate investment they had made years ago in Arkansas. They uh, had Travelgate with the White House Travel Office. They were just looking for stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think Vince Foster just felt overwhelmed, responsible, couldn't mm -hmm. stop it, couldn't protect the Clintons. So that's the only theory that I have heard. But Linda Tripp thought, she she kept saying, well, I was the last one to see him alive. Yeah. <laughs> she felt very much yeah. like that was her, I don't know, but that made her very paranoid. Yeah. And so then when she got transferred to the Pentagon, that made her very angry and also very dismissed. And here she goes from being, you know, next to the Oval Office into, you know, this massive, probably like bunch of cubicle room of cubicles, you know, yeah. into the Pentagon where no one cares what, you know, I think she was arranging tours or something for uh, maybe famous people to come and hang out at the Pentagon. So she was already mad. And so when Monica confided in her, she was like, awesome, I've got now something good and I'm going to use it. And I'm going to figure it out. And she had been talking to a New York literary agent who um, suggested that she start to tape the calls. And so she starts taping the calls with Monica. And um, then at the same time, all of this was happening. Kenneth Starr, you want to talk about Kenneth Starr and how all because he was he was the one investigating Whitewater. Yeah, he was. And then the travel. Yeah, they appointed him as a special prosecutor to look into all of these things. And again, his team of prosecutors that were working under him, it was just a witch hunt. Yeah. And they were coming to a dead end that they really weren't yeah. finding anything that was going to stick. And then at the same time, this woman from Arkansas, Paula Jones, filed a lawsuit against Bill Clinton saying that he had sexually harassed her um, back when he was governor of Arkansas. And in that case, the, these two things converged because once it got out that Linda Tripp's secret about this affair, which was leaked by her literary agent, mm -hmm. Lucianne Goldberg, it got started to spread through Washington and it got to the Paula Jones lawyers and it got to the Star Commission. Yes. So suddenly now they got something. Yeah. And of course, the irony of all of these things was that what really <laughs> what brought him down was his womanizing, because the thing was that we everyone knew back in 92 what was going on with Bill Clinton. It was well known. It was talked about a lot was the fact Jennifer Flowers was a name that was floated around. Listen, I didn't even really pay attention to politics at that time. But I knew who Jennifer Flowers was. I knew Bill Clinton was, you know, apparently a serial cheater. We all knew these things about him. But now they've got, you know, they've got Paula Jones and now they've got Monica Lewinsky. So the Kenneth Starr is like, awesome. Now we have something really good that we can use and everything blows up. And this is where we are today. And he gets, Bill Clinton eventually gets impeached, but he's not convicted. How does that Well, happen? prior to... Prior to the okay, so what led to the impeachment was um, oh, that's right, the lying. So it be okay. So what happened was eventually Monica Lewinsky got a subpoena in the Paula Jones case. Um, they wanted to take her deposition, and she's freaked out. And now 
what I'm describing here is from the Ryan Murphy, um, it's not a documentary, the American, American Crime Story series. series, impeachment that, you know, dramatized all of this. But basically, Clinton tells her, um, well, she says, you know, I, I, I don't want to testify. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get you in trouble. You know, she's very, she's more concerned about him than mm -hmm. she's about herself. And she's also swearing up and down. She hasn't talked to anyone. That's the other thing. Yeah. She's told Linda at this point, but she's like, no, no, no. I haven't told anyone. I haven't told right. anyone. Which I'm sure they don't believe because obviously mm -hmm. she told somebody. But, um, so Clinton basically tells her, well, if you just sign an affidavit that says that we never had a relationship and you don't have any information for them mm -hmm. that, that will help them, then this will all just go away and, mm -hmm. you know, everything will be fine. And she's so naive, you know, she's only like 22 or 23 at this point. And she's like, oh, okay. And she has no idea that she, you know, <laughs> she could be facing prison time or anything like that. And so she goes to a lawyer who Bill Clinton tells her to go to, mm -hmm. who has already drafted an affidavit that she just signs. Mm -hmm. And so right there, she's committed perjury and obstruction of justice and mm -hmm. you know, conspiracy, a bunch of federal crimes just, mm -hmm. just by that, doing that. And she, But she thinks that that's just going to make it all go away, but it doesn't. No. So then... So that's what, so when um, everything becomes public, that's what Ken Starr and his team of, of goons, that they pick her up and basically threaten her and tell her, you've broken all these laws. You could spend 28 years in jail, in prison, right. and you're not going to have, a, you know, to say that to a poor 23-year-old is devastating. And um, they tell her that's, you know, you need to cooperate with us. And then there's a bunch of rigmarole of, like, how they eventually get to that place where she cooperates but basically she has to cooperate and it's shown that bill clinton also lied under oath and lied about their in his deficit in his deposition yeah in the in the meantime just uh, i think the next day after they um they confront her yeah at the pentagon they City needed Mall. they needed her they needed her info asap so that they can get her on record then have him commit perjury because they knew they didn't have anything. Like he had to, you know, it was the perjury that brought Right, him but he committed perjury anyway. I didn't, I never really understood why it was so urgent that they get her cooperation before his deposition. Because he just went and did his deposition and committed perjury anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that's what he did. So he lied under yeah. oath. And that's what the impeachable offense was. You know, you, you hear people talk about, Oh, well, you know, he was impeached for, you know, having an affair or mm -hmm. whatever. And it's like, no, that's not what he was impeached for. Mm -hmm. He committed a federal crime. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was impeached, but not convicted in the Senate. So, and he remained in office. But, you know, he got off yeah. <laughs> relatively, I don't want to say unscathed but you know compared to what monica's life was yes. like after that and she she did get immunity um and you know didn't have to go to prison but she was also put under a like part of her immunity deal was that she could not talk about the case she could mm -hmm. not talk about ken Starr. she could not talk 
about any of it for a period of several years. Mm -hmm. So while the whole world is talking about her viciously, she has to just stay silent. Well, she wrote that book in 99, though. Yeah, but this all happened in... With the, I thought the whole... 98. I thought everything came to the head in 98. Yeah, yeah, 98. So she wrote a book in 99. So, but she was under... While all this was happening, because it, it took like 13 months or something for mm -hmm. them to negotiate her immunity deal. It really went on for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and they were jerking her around a lot. And so I, I guess she couldn't speak about it until after, you know... Yeah. Everything had happened. But that whole entire, there's like a two-year period in there. Where she's sitting Where's, alone. Yeah. She's like hiding. She cannot defend herself. She cannot say anything. Yeah. She's being portrayed on TV as just, you know, uh, this horrible person. A slut, a stalker. You know, every late night talk show is talking about her, making jokes. I mean, that's you hear people say, oh, I'm not a Lewinsky. You know, that was... Um, she just became synonymous with blowjobs, basically, because yeah. that was the infamous, famous thing was they never really did have sex, but that she did give him a blowjob, at least one that we're aware of. Um, so, yeah. So do you want to go through um, some of the major players? Because I want to talk about, I have a lot of feelings about Linda Tripp. And um, about everybody involved. But do you want to just go through the players and talk about them? Sure. Um, so Linda Tripp, you know, it was funny when I was, I was watching the, uh, Ryan Murphy 10 part show and I was trying to think, you know, cause I do think that in that show, they were trying to show Linda. I don't think they showed her in the best light, but I do think that they were trying to show her as a whole person, like as a whole person, like what motivated her, her life outside of um you know this particular situation why she did what she did why she thought what she was doing was right um but that's why i was just like well so is linda trip you know is she a hero is she a villain um at some point because monica confided in her around the affair linda was worried that she was also going to get wrapped up into this at the time she was already recording her yeah. but monica <laughs> did i will say though monica did want her to lie yeah she asked her she mm -hmm. asked linda to also sign an affidavit, an affidavit and linda wouldn't do it because she understood she yeah. was more savvy she understood that was perjury yeah and that and, was serious and she was already recording monica but if you take that part out you know, the recording her, if she wasn't already behind the scenes trying to angle to make this affair work for her, you know, is she a terrible person for not wanting to lie, not wanting to? Because I think the thing was, I think part of the reason why Linda did everything that she did, part of it was that she wanted to get a book deal and she wanted to be seen um, as more of a political insider than she probably was but i think she also didn't want to lie she also didn't you know she didn't want to have to sign an affidavit and lie well yeah because that that wouldn't help her you know that that she she wasn't that good of a friend to monica <laughs> she's willing Listen, to i'm not defending her I'm yeah just, i'm just saying like devil's advocate can we see yeah. in any way shape or form but, i don't know maybe it's, why linda did what she did well it's very hard for me to see honestly any good in what she did because oh she, 
you know, she claims that she was somehow helping the country by exposing mm -hmm. this, by exposing Bill Clinton. And it's like, was that really necessary? Like, what did it get us? He no, did, it he wasn't. Did, he did not get impeached. He's still <laughs> he's still the president. He, after mm -hmm. all, after going through all that, he's still the president. You've mm -hmm. accomplished nothing. Yeah, uh, nothing but negative. I mean, ruining Monica's life and yours. I mean, basically, yeah. that was so. When Everyone I was watching her, the show, yeah. I I remember thinking. I guess I didn't realize before I was watching the show, like her desperation, the devotion she had to the job, the devotion she had, the, her hatred of the Clintons. Um, and she definitely, you know, this is not like a hot take or anything, but she was, she's definitely a narcissist. So what's fascinating about this entire situation is, is that Linda's a narcissist, Bill's a narcissist, and um, there might be some other players that were definitely also narcissists. But you can see this dynamic with Linda and Bill, how they've handled the entire scandal versus how Monica has hired. You know, I think that you can really see the differences in personality. And because Monica, as she's walked away from this, it has really always maintained like, I did some dumb things. I shouldn't have done what I did. Like she takes, she took responsibility. She took responsibility for the fact that she made these mistakes. You know, she does say, yeah, I was young, but I'm also, you know, I did these things. I shouldn't have done them. I'm really sorry. And, but Bill and Linda, I, Linda passed away in 2020, but I don't think Linda's ever really taken any kind of ownership or responsibility for her role in, and all of this. No, not, so, not that I'm aware of. And Bill Clinton has, oh, hell no, has certainly he has never, in fact, to this day, you know, whenever, you know, both Bill and Hillary get asked about yes. Monica Lewinsky, it came up in 2020, it came up around the Me Too movement, because when people started examining all the men in our country, the people started reevaluating yes you know and yeah. started really myself included i i really started looking at bill clinton for what he really is and like i said we were so desperate in 92 to just to have a democrat in the mm -hmm. white house that we overlooked so much and it's regrettable actually but that was the thing about bill was he he was charming like he is charming that people would talk about how, you know, he would like lock eyes on you and you would feel so great. I think that he charmed us all. I think he, because yeah, he was a real breath of fresh air, you know, yeah. they're there. They played Fleetwood Mac at the, yeah. <laughs> at the inauguration. It was, if you can understand, like for all the baby boomers out there, we're not baby boomers. We're not that old, but we're Gen X, uh, Gen X. but I mean, for all the baby boomers, this was huge. Like they were seeing themselves being voted for for the first time in a long time. And so, yeah, we people just focused on what they liked about him and were like, okay, he's having these little, you know, issues with women over here, but let's not let's not focus too much on them. Well, and and then after this happened, like I said, Monica's life, I don't want to say her life was ruined because she has made a lot out of her mm -hmm. life and she really has come through this remarkably well but her life certainly changed and was different because of this and yet bill clinton is now seen as this elder statesman yeah 
And the way that he and Hillary still will not even acknowledge Monica Lewinsky as a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, they really just talk about her like, oh, well, you know, that, that was that. was that. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so cold. And, you know, he's never apologized truly to her. He's never no. taken any responsibility. And it's just, that's upsetting. No, I know. Well, so when I was watching Linda Tripp, you know, I kept trying to figure out, like, well, what kind of narcissist is she? You know, I was really fascinated by that because, and I'm sure, you know, people talk about narcissism. We've already talked about narcissism on the show, but it comes up a lot, especially in these big, big issues, big um, political scandals. Um, But, you know, there's there's a real, when you're a narcissist, there's a real inflated sense of, you know, your own importance, the need for excessive attention and admiration, a real lack of empathy for others. And there's a kind of narcissist, what they call overt or grandiose narcissism. So sometimes with these people, they're treated as very superior in childhood. So those expectations follow them into adulthood. And, um, they tend to take this attitude of the world doesn't see my value. So they're pro-social. They'll do things to help other people, but it's only really to benefit them. And if you kind of push against them, they become aggressive and dominant and exaggerated. And so then the, the opposite of that is, not opposite, but the what they call covert or vulnerable narcissist, this is usually in your childhood, there's neglect or abuse, more sensitive. It's a more sensitive narcissistic behavior. It helps them protect them from feeling inadequate, right? So if I'm so wonderful, I'm so great, um, and if you've been hurt by the world, then you can use this wall of protection for yourself. Like um, they get offended easily or they get anxious when people don't treat them as special. They believe they deserve more, but also doubt it at the same time until someone else convinces them that they do. Um, And what I thought was so interesting about there's all these, there's a bunch of other categories of narcissists, but these are the two main ones that are talked about and people will refer to, is I thought that both Linda and Bill had both of these, like both sides of this coin, because Linda talked about being teased as a child, that she, you know, has never been seen as very pretty, that she grew up, I guess, with an abusive father, you know, German, very strict, um, and that, um, that, and that she obviously went into politics as a way of making herself feel more important. And she really did see herself as incredibly important and felt a lot of, um, a sense of superiority by working in the government and being close to secrets and, and information and, and all of that. And when that was taken away from her, right, there was very much this feeling from her of, okay, I'll show you. Like, you took this from me. How dare you? So I'm going to get it back any means necessary. Yeah, and she, she yeah, she just really thought, like I was saying before, she thought this was going to lead somewhere and it just literally led to nowhere yeah and literally no one cared what she had to say Mm -hmm. there was a scene in the uh, impeachment series where she she makes some big speech she calls like a press conference at the end of all of this and makes this speech and literally no one cares yeah the i am i am you 
I am you speech. I think that's what it was called. Yeah, I don't even remember. But yeah, in the end, nobody really cared. Once she leased, leaked, you know, her information to the world, it was like, yeah, that was it for her. Well, and I think that she thought people were going to see her as an American hero, right. someone like that was there to. to and what people really were like, oh, my God, you're a terrible friend. Like, you you befriended this person. Because the tapes eventually got out. We all, yeah. everyone got access to the tapes. And that people saw how she calculated, like, yeah. very calculated, like, got Monica to admit these things on tape. And, um, you know, you see in the Ryan Murphy uh, show that they, um, they do show these moments where maybe Linda Tripp is like, having second thoughts or like feeling, you know, um, feeling like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. And I think that that, but then you also see Sarah Paulson, such a, an amazing actress, but you also see in that same moment of her, like, no, 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 convincing herself, like, no, this is the right thing. So yeah. she had convinced herself so much that this was the right thing to do, that what she was doing was good and, and was going to help the country and help the world and get Clinton out of office and all of that, that, that really drove her, which she, is why I was asking that question in the beginning. Like, can we, can we, can you find some level of empathy for Linda Tripp? Yet again, uh, kind of hard. It's hard. Even people who didn't like Bill Clinton thought that what she did was <laughs> messed up. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It it really is. It was really just so unnecessary. It made no difference about his presidency, mm -hmm. about any, it just made everything worse, you know, kind of like what's happening. It just made the country more divided. Yeah. It just wasted time, money, everything. Yeah. And Clinton survived. Then Hillary gets tapped to be in the New York Senate. It right? certainly helped her. It helped Hillary. You know, it, it softened Hillary. Mm -hmm. People felt badly for her. Yeah. And it softened her enough that she, people started looking at her in a different way. And I think, Again, this is one of these serendipitous things about this case. I don't think she would have gotten elected senator if this had ha not happened. Yeah, probably not. I don't think they would have tapped her. I mean... I think people would... Because, yeah, people hated Hillary, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it softened her up enough that people said, Oh, well, you know, she's done some good things. We'll take, take another <laughs> look at her. Yeah. So and it, so it helped Hillary. And of course, the irony of all of this is Monica wrote a book, Clinton wrote a book, Hillary wrote a book. Linda Tripp never wrote a book. Like mm -hmm. there, she never wrote a book. She kind of went off into obscurity. Yeah. I guess she got remarried and um, and apparently, you know, had I don't know what if she really did anything, but she was in debt from lawyer fees and all of that, because, again, you know, Whatever you think of Monica Lewinsky for going on Barbara Walters, it was very famous Barbara Walters interview that she did, and writing the book, she had to do those things. Oh, like, she had to pay her. She had to pay the attorneys, fees. and this was the only way to do it. Same thing with Paula Jones. Paula Jones also posed in Playboy and did the psychic hotline and did a bunch of things that people thought were really gross. But the problem was that once you're this infamous person, your your ways of making money are really limited and you have to kind of do these things. So that's what Monica um, had to do. And of course, Linda, in the end, you know, did just got nothing and like died in obscurity. Yeah. Well, because no, nobody wanted to hear from her. Yeah.
So I will say that I was always, you know, for such a long time, I was always a fan of Bill Clinton. I did like him. I thought he was charming. Um, I really, back in my 20s, I did not follow politics or really I was just, I kind of got the headlines here and there. I always voted, but um, I just didn't pay attention so much. And it was one of these things like watching Clinton in this, in this show and just everything that we've seen in the last umpteen years, it, it is really hard to wrap your brain around the fact that like, oh my God, this guy is a narcissistic, womanizing rapist. You know, <laughs> well, I don't know if I would go that far. But what he was accused of rape. Yeah, he was accused of rape by someone in the seventies. Yeah, so what, we don't Juanita Broderick. Yeah, yeah, so we don't know. We don't know exactly what is it, Juanita? Yeah, Broderick. yeah, Juanita. Yeah, good. You remember people. Well, you know, here's the thing. Like, I don't. You know, we use the word narcissist a lot, mm -hmm. and I guess I don't really fully understand the definition of it, but. What? Well, I just gave it to you a few, like five, ten minutes ago. Well, but inflated I, sense of their own impulsive, you know, inflated sense of their own self. So this is the thing that people can have narcissistic traits. You can have the traits and not necessarily like check every box. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of talk these days around because if you get into all of these like subsections of narcissism that probably you know, represent a good chunk of the world that we live in. Like this, there's one kind of narcissist called the communal narcissist that really is just anyone who posts on social media. You know, it's anyone who puts stuff out there in the world, like wanting that admiration and attention. But when I think about, when I think about narcissism, what make, what makes one person a narcissist and another person not is that sense of awareness and accountability for yeah. what you do. Well, I really that's do, what he really lacks. I really yeah. do think that how you can tell the difference between someone who is a narcissist and someone who isn't is the ability to say, you know what, I screwed up, I'm sorry. Or you know what, you know. So with Clinton, every step of the way, well, let me back up for a second. So I do want to say that this is why we see a lot of narcissists in politics, in um TV and film in all of that. They like attention. Because they like attention. This is what they're going after. As someone who worked in Hollywood, I also know that people, especially I can't talk about in politics, but I assume it's the same, that when you work in the entertainment business, everybody feels very special and important. Everyone feels like I work in the entertainment business, so I am therefore better. I know this person or I can get this person on the phone, so therefore I'm a better person. So I do think that people might not necessarily be, you know, full-blown narcissist or full-blown anything and, you know, just like attention, like to be the center of attention. And then they get into these worlds and then that piles on, right? And then it's, you start to feel like I am really special. I am really wonderful. I am really, and then the, you start to lose your mind a little, I guess, is one way of saying that, that, that people can kind of morph in and create these traits. But I don't want people to think that every last human being in the world is a narcissist. But well, it's just that today that word is thrown around so much mm -hmm. that I've, to me, it just feels very diluted. But I mean, I think with Clinton, the thing that struck me is that, that impulsivity, like the risk yes. that he took. Every time he brought her to the White House, every time he was alone with her, I mean, I'm sure people had to have seen them 
you know, I mean, the, just the the security risk alone. Yeah. You don't know anything. Oh, I don't know how well they vet interns. You know, I mean, yeah, you yeah, don't know no, anything. Huge. And if, and she did turn out to be. I mean, I I, I can't. I don't know. She was so young. I I I guess anyone she was going to have to tell somebody. Yeah, there's no anyone that age probably would have reacted in the same way. I don't think you could expect a 21 year old to just keep a secret Mm -hmm. like that. And because she was just so lovesick. But yeah, but and that that was the thing, right? She it wasn't that she was keeping the secret and and blabbed the secret to anybody because. She was like, oh, my God, look at me. I'm da- I'm dating the president. It was, I am so in love with this person. I am right. so lovesick, and I have to talk to somebody about what's going on with me. And, oh, here's someone willing to talk to me about it. Great. I think it was much more of that. So, um, but I think that it, it comes down to the accountability because you, you see how Clinton really spun things with Monica that – that his team, they immediately went into place and uh, calling her a stalker and calling her, you know, um, oh God, I, you know, I wouldn't have sexual relations with that woman. And, and um, he just immediately started gaslighting. Started lying. <laughs> he started lying. Lying. And, he, and yes. gaslighting. And uh, then when you see in the Ryan Murphy thing in the, in the show, what's so interesting about that is, is that, you know, it's these level of lies. So in the beginning, it's like the Monica stuff is going to come out. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to kind of slightly lie a little bit to kind of get out of this. And he keeps lying and lying and lying because he really, truly, he didn't want to have to go back to Hillary. He didn't want Hillary to find out. He didn't want, you know, he didn't, if, if he had just talked to Hillary about this in the beginning and kind of squashed some of these things, it would be very different. He just started if he had admitted from the beginning what he was doing, the affair, none of this would have happened. But he he was lying part of partly to protect himself, but partly because to protect Hillary and how it would look to her. Yeah, and another sliding door moment in this whole thing is if he had just settled that Paula Jones lawsuit. Yes. Well, but in the Ryan Murphy, it seems like they weren't it, like that she wanted to settle. They offered her 700000 and they wanted to settle with her. And then they got that Christian kind of women's coalition played right. by they, Judith um, Light. Um, Susan something. Yeah, Susie, that she yeah. she came in because they wanted they wanted to see. They didn't want her to settle. You know, they wanted her to sue. So it became a big well, and yeah, her thing. her husband, oh, God, that, that husband, he was saying that he wanted an apology, mm-hmm. and then she, I think she, the both of them uh-huh. were like, "We want an apology," which, you know, that just really yeah. doesn't happen when you settle lawsuits. That's not a thing. But they, they could have figured Susan Carpenter McMillan. That was her name. <laughs> If that woman hadn't been involved, yes, yes, they probably would have. They would have taken the. They would have taken it and left with or without an apology. But yeah, at every turn, there's just somebody in there. Just well, and there's this common thing. There are all these young. You know, Paula Jones was what you know, young woman in her. You know, not as young as Monica, but still young. Yeah. And every step of the way, it's like each time these women are trying to like you know, move forward, get forward in their lives. Like, you, you know, there's some Politico user comes sweeping in saying, you know, let me use you for our for our agenda, right. basically, is the best way of saying it. But um, 
And, you know, the thing is, even today, Clinton, I think obviously the the way people are looking at Clinton is very, very different. But even still, like, you know, they they go up to, we have some friends who live in Chappaqua, which is where the Clintons have a house. And, you know, even up there, people were talking about the Clintons when we were up visiting. And it was very much known, like, Hillary's never around. She's a bitch. She's this and that. And Bill is Mr. Personable at the Starbucks, <laughs> shaking hands, meeting people. You know, that he still, you know, that kind of charm that people just, oh, oh it's Bill Clinton, you know, attitude. Again, th these conversations were before, before me, too, I want to say. Yeah, because, you know, that, again, he just keeps getting a pass. Oh, but he's so charming. He's so nice. He's so this. He's so that. And also, most of his policies and the things he did as president, turns out, were horrible. Yes, like, unfortunately. Like crime bill, the, you know, welfare reform. In hindsight, he was a terrible president. Mm. I mean, just it just this what he created with this affair alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm just feeling very angry at him right now. But <laughs> Well, let's talk about Monica. Yes. Because I have to say, I watched her TED Talk. You watched a bunch of the things that she was doing. Um, you know, one of the big things, which I think was so horrendous, where people were like, ugh, her, right? Like that she wasn't pretty enough. That she wasn't this enough. Yeah. She was they really made fun of her, her weight, weight and, and yeah. you know that she was that she was fat. She wore a size twelve, so I guess I'm obese <laughs> because you know I mean she's there like the average size of an American yeah. woman, and she's fat and disgusting. She was none of that, and she's, she's a beautiful woman. And I mean, I, I feel like t she looks better today than she she's looks ever. Fantastic! Oh my god, I love the highlights. Yeah, I love the highlights. She looks great. Um, and she, looks she looks so young. Yes, she looks younger now than she, she looks did like then. She's she looks fabulous. Thirty, yeah, thirty-five maybe. But you know, this poor girl was ripped through the mud. They they unearthed every last person who ever yeah, her high school high boyfriend school, yeah or... and then it, it turned out that she had had an affair with someone else that she had had an affair with a married teacher again let's talk about authority that. figures another authority figure <laughs> yeah. and um you know and i think that's one thing that people have to recognize is is that especially for women that you know when you were 21 22 23 and an older man is telling you oh, something. It's intoxicating. It's intoxicating, but it's also you're going to listen to them. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you, I look back on when I was younger, how much I just kind of was like, okay, you know, went along with stuff that I, today, I would never in a million years go along with or think was okay or think that it was um, the right thing to do. So... She was a young girl who obviously, yeah, she liked it. It wasn't so much that I think she liked older men. I think that she happened to have these experiences with older, powerful men that then sort of swept her up. Yeah, I mean, look, I could totally see that happening to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I I could see it happening. I mean. Yeah, everyone acted like, oh, I would never do that. That would never be me. She's just. What is wrong with her? And it's like, okay, I dare you yeah. to put your 21-year-old self in that situation. And you The know, leader of the free world who's this older, charming guy yeah. is paying attention to you, buying you gifts, 
telling you how wonderful how you smart are, you are, how smart you are, how special yeah. you are. This is and... her first job of any kind, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And this power differential, like all of it. It's just, that's just how life is. You know, tw- 21-year-old women will always be 21-year-old women. They will always, you know, be susceptible to this type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, she was treated horribly. She then, you know, went off to the London School of Economics Economics, and got a master's degree. And she couldn't even get a job. Nobody would hire her. She had to kind of start her own businesses. Um, She was like a Jenny Craig spokesperson for a while. Yeah, she did a TV show. I think she tried in the beginning. Like, she wrote the book. And I think she did that Mr. Personality show. I think she was... Trying to see, like, could I make a living from doing these things? But that didn't really pan out. And, yeah, you know, she wanted to at 21, 22. She she wanted to get married and have children. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that's really heartbreaking is she's never been married, never had children. And, you know, I'm sure she has a lot of feelings about this. I don't know what her decision was not to get married or have children. But... Dating is incredibly difficult for her. She says that she always has to, every date she goes on, she has to address the Clinton stuff and and what happened. And um, so her TED Talk, which I highly recommend checking out because it's all about, you know, shame and how we, you know, we we are very much a culture of shame. When we see people doing things that are quote unquote bad or wrong, we go right to a place of shame as opposed to a place of empathy. And I was thinking about this because I was thinking, thing about anxiety is, right, that anxiety wants things, our anxiety wants things to be very black and white. So when we don't have all the facts, right, when we don't know exactly what's going to happen or how it's going to look, our brains are designed to sort of fill in those blanks and create what we think could happen. And of course, this is what we see with anxiety. People start to catastrophize, catastrophize, future trip, worry about things, right? But I think when it came to this scandal, I think that it was almost like, and maybe this is just what happened in my own mind, it was almost like I think people have a very hard time looking at this whole situation and looking at it from this lens of shades of gray, right? Linda Tripp isn't all good or all bad. You know, Monica Lewinsky isn't good or all bad. And Bill Clinton, though we don't love him, isn't all good and all bad. And I think and I think when you look back at that time, what happened was that it was almost kind of like as a culture, we couldn't hate our president. Right. We couldn't dislike him. We couldn't, you know, see him for what he was because especially Democrats were just like, wait, huh, hold on to him. We need him so desperately. And I think that that's when it was so easy to put your time and attention over on Monica and Linda to make them the villains of this particular situation. And so, you know, in order to love someone, we also, our anxiety wants us to also hate someone. And that's what got so divided by this poor girl. But anyway, she... um This is one of the quotes from her TED Talk that I thought was so good, that she is the patient zero of losing a personal reputation on a global scale instantaneously. And that's very much what happened to her. She she was mobs of virtual stone throwers. Because, oh, that was the other thing that she talked about in her TED Talk that we haven't talked about yet, which is this all happened in 98, 99, right? And so this was the dawn of the the, um, World Wide Web, right? So 
this was when, you know, you would have to do dial up. <laughs> yeah. I remember I got my my AOL account yes. in 1997. Yes. <laughs> and then you have to like unplug one thing to plug right. in something plug, else. Unplug the fax machine. Or the to, phone. <laughs> to plug in the dial up. Yeah. You couldn't use dial up and your phone at the same time. So that, and so it was released, it was released on the Dredge Report. So all of these tapes, everything was able to very easily be read. So all of the stuff that we see now, right? Like we see, you know, Brittany talks for 22 minutes and now across yeah. the country we can see, you know, someone's transcribed it and put it on a million different things and it's spread everywhere. The Drudge Report was a website that was basically kind of like a TMZ or something mm -hmm. like that, but for politics, politics yeah, and all the political stories and... Uh, he is actually Matt Drudge. He was he was the the first one to put this whole story out there, mm -hmm. and and then later when they did you know the Star Report, um, when he released that the report that had all of the details mm -hmm. of all the sexual encounters and everything, of course that went up on the internet mm -hmm. and people could then read all about her, and yeah, all about every single sexual, and of course these these guys who they were obsessed with the sexual details mm -hmm. oh and guess who was on the oh yes the, the star committee i know i saw <clears> our that. friend brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> yes well of course the you know right another ironic thing was that ken ken star apparently i don't know much about him it's the only thing i know him from but that he's super religious he's very religious yes. and that it, that of course was the joke was this uber religious you know church on sunday um conservative man that does not talk about sex is now reporting about cigars and <laughs> yeah. other things that are happening yeah. um between everyone so um do you have any i think that's all my notes well, I I want to say that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> um, you know, even though, you know, Monica had a, a, a rough time, I put to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, you know, in one of the interviews I saw with her, she she said something, you know, she went through a lot of therapy and working on herself. And, mm -hmm. you know, at some point she just came to the realization that she was never going to be able to get away from this. You know, yes. this was always going to be a part of who she was. Mm -hmm. It was never going to go away. And so she said she had to learn how to integrate it into mm -hmm. her life. And that's when she started, you know, did the TED Talk and she started getting involved with anti-bullying and cyber-bullying campaigns. And she made a documentary called 15 Minutes of Shame, and, um, you know, that's what she's doing now. And, mm -hmm. you know, she writes for Vanity Fair. She, um, you know, has written about Me Too and, mm -hmm. you know, her experiences, you know, looking back on everything that had happened to her. So, I mean, I really admire her. I honestly don't know how she didn't kill herself. Well, that was in the TED Talk. She breaks down and yeah. didn't – she was just – she said she was – she was like – and, and the tears really got her because she said she she's like, I'm sorry, because her mom had her shower with the door open. Yeah, because she was so worried about her and not for a day, but for years yeah. and years. Yeah. And when you in the TED talk, they show the audience. I mean, there's not a dry. eye. I'm tearing up. You know, there is not a dry eye in the house because 
what she talked about in the TED talk was about an, a boy who, you know, his roommate oh, taped Tyler him. Clemente. Yeah, his, yeah. His roommate taped him having sex with his partner, you know, someone, um, with another, with another man, with another man. He was not an out gay person and put it out there to everyone. And then he jumps off a bridge yeah, or a st- yeah. like the next day, the next day. And so that's the other part that too, is that, you know, your brain doesn't fully form. I'm going to say this a lot in this podcast, because we do talk about a lot of young people, right? Your brain doesn't fully form until you're 25. You are not quite who you are until 25. Kids are, you know, people talk about teens being really impulsive, but kids in college are really impulsive. And in your early 20s, you're really impulsive. So for someone that young to see that your whole life, you you feel like in that moment in time, your whole life is ruined. It's right. over, you know, like all of it that um of course she was probably near suicidal and then the parents are freaking out about what's going to happen but that's what i'm trying to say about the difference between monica and linda and bill and hillary and a lot of the players of this entire situation is is that i think it shows you a lot about a person and a person's personality because the fact that she was willing, she's been willing to go and meet with a therapist and work on herself and look at herself and own her part of the, you know, the mistakes that she made. And, you know, even if you talk to, I think they, Linda Tripp maybe did some interviews towards the end, like here, we've still got Hillary and Bill denying everything and pretending like we shouldn't be paying attention to it. And here's Monica saying, okay, hey, this is a part of my life. Let me figure out how to laugh at it sometimes. Let me figure out how to teach from it and help people and grow from it. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. I know that I've used the word narcissist a lot, but that's, I think, what is really the difference is this ability to take a step back and reflect upon your life and who you are and have some sense of awareness. It's awareness. She's aware of what she did. She's aware of it and she's going to take ownership of it and she's going to move forward. As opposed to the Clintons who are just like, don't talk about that. Don't talk oh, about yeah. that. Don't talk about that. They have not. I don't think they've done any therapy over that. I mean, no, you know. Yeah. No, it really is remarkable what, what she has done as mm-hmm. a human being. You know, the personal yes. growth. It's So, Monica, if you're listening, yes. we're sorry. <laughs> you and I are the same age, born a month apart. And I, I was in my 20s. And I just, oh, part of it was I wasn't paying attention. But the other part of it was I, too, just fell along with everybody else, with the Jay Leno's and the David Letterman's and the people making fun of her, all of it. I, I didn't go on the road and make fun of her or anything. But, I mean, I, too, did not. I, too, thought, oh, why would you do that? Oh, really? You know? See, I didn't. I empathized with her because, again, I could see myself <laughs> doing something like that. And, you know... I don't know. I I am I I really saw myself in her, and I just thought, oh wow, like, yeah. I I always had a lot of empathy for her, and I mean more of the laughing along with the jokes, like not. I think that it was it was really easy to laugh along along to the Monica jokes that you know we weren't standing up for her. Looking back, like we should have been standing up for her more. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, the. Yeah. Instead you have Hillary and all of Hillary's friends calling her. I think Hillary called her a narcissistic loony tune. Yeah. I read that somewhere. I mean, yes, 
Hillary, who's supposed to be this champion of women and... Yeah, that's... what You know, what's so interesting, too, is after I was doing all this research, I was watching on... I don't know if it's, like, HBO or, or like, Netflix or Hulu or one of these shows, right? That, you know, Hillary and Chelsea are doing a show called Gutsy. Mm -hmm. They're going to go see Kim Kardashian. They're seeing all oh, these geez. people along the way. And all I can think is... So this whole show is about women, <laughs> and the two of you aren't at all willing to take some kind of ownership or even, I don't know, interview Monica along the way. Oh, yeah, because, you know, Chelsea is on the bandwagon, too. Like, mm -hmm. she has, she, when she's asked about it, yeah. she has the same crappy attitude yeah. <laughs> as well. And who knows if that's her attitude or not, or if it's just her parents, you know, if her parents told her, I don't know. Well, she's a 37-year-old yeah. woman. She you're can right, she right. can speak for herself. But, no, they haven't they haven't made it right, any no. of them. So. so, Monica, we're sorry. Yeah. Come on our podcast. We're on your side. <laughs> All right. So, thank you so much for tuning in. And we realized with the other ones, we didn't do this. So, we're going to do it now. So, Review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. <laughs> we would love the reviews. And, and it helps other people yeah, find, find the podcast if they're interested in these kind of things. Yes. We plan to have other things in the future. Website, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. But we can't get that together right yeah. now. So One step at a time. Yes. For right now, please just give us a five-star review. Subscribe. Uh, subscribe. What else do we want them to do? Just those two. Just, the, just those two things. Yeah. It's all you got to do. So It'll if you can subscribe. Just <laughs> 15 seconds. And yeah. give us a five-star review. And if it's not going to be a five-star review, yeah. don't give us the review. Right. Just it's okay. Just, <laughs> just move along. Just you don't have to listen again. Yes. All right. We will see you all next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.